Their job now is to sanctify the social order, to sanctify the world. That's where the power of the laity lies. You can know it all you want, but until you got to pick up that cross that you can't carry, and he picks it up for you and carries you and the cross, then you know. Our nation is too full of those that are crying down. Down with the churches. Down with government. Can you build anything down? You cannot. And let's begin now to use the word up. Up from all of this filth. Up from this violence. Up from this indifference of courts. Up, up, up to God. Be courageous. And keep the joy of loving. And welcome back to another episode of Cajun Kingdom of Priests. This is Reed Striva. This is Jude. This is Seth Ronsonet. <laughs> yes, Seth is, uh, has been behind the scenes, but uh, we, I don't know if y'all have gotten to hear his voice yet. I think this is the first time. Here I am. Now Here he's he is. on the scene. He's, he's great. Yeah, he's in there. Yeah, Father John Joseph, uh, you know, running, running his little priestly mission, uh, doing his thing. I think he's going to try to show up at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's unpredictable, though. So we'll we'll just be rolling. If you hear somebody bust in the door, you, <laughs> you know who it is. You know who it is. But um, but good. It's good to be back in the studio. Good to be ba- always good to be back. Good yeah. to see y'all. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Since uh, since the last podcast, you've gotten married. Yeah, that's right. It's a big jump since the last. That's kind of huge. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. You actually like live here now. We've been recording in. Technically, Abby's rent house for a while, but yeah. now it's y'all's rent house. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, watch what you get dirty because <laughs> now it's personal. Yeah, dude's you know. intense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Clean these floors with a toothbrush, boy. Yeah. That's going to be the punishment. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. Three weeks married today, which is Wow, been three weeks. Yeah. Goes by quick. Yeah. So, where'd you go on your honeymoon? San Francisco. San Francisco. We went, uh, up north to a little town called Sausalito, which was beautiful. Would highly recommend if anybody gets the opportunity to go there to go there. And then we went down to Carmel, which is where I always feel like I'm going to mispronounce his name, but Una Paracera. Yeah, yeah, Una yeah. Paracera. Sounds like a really difficult name to say. Yeah, it's like, it, it's, anyway. Um, he started a mission there in Carmel, and that's actually where he's buried now. Hmm. And uh, and so it was really cool. We got to go to that mission. Yeah, he worked with the Native Americans, right? Right, yeah. So him and some other Franciscans came over from Spain and uh, and just, like, started their, their missions. They started, like, ten missions up the coast of California, I mean, which was probably so awesome, you know, yeah. just to, like be able to like go there and bring Christ to these people and uh, to these people who never experienced that, you know, um, the gospel that is. What, uh, do you know like what time period this is in? Is this like, uh, you know, once people were settled on the West coast, like there was a lot of, uh, you know, at this point, a lot of Europeans who were settled along the, no, it would have been only native Americans. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, wow. I don't know. What a mission. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it was really cool to see like everything that they had there. And, um, and San Francisco, California is beautiful Yeah. and very like, it's so sad that California has become what it is because I mean, everything is built around Catholicism, right? San Francisco, St. Francis, um, San Jose, St. Joseph. Um, just everything is, uh, you can tell the Catholic influence and you could tell that 
that the devil is working particularly there, right? And yeah, you I mean you hear these stories about people leaving California because they find you know needles on the on the sidewalks and stuff. They don't yeah. want their kids to find this. Like the homelessness is terrible, um, and uh, obviously Hollywood, of course, has had a huge effect on the on the culture. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's very loud. And we were kind of talking a little bit about this earlier. Um, yeah, I mean it's like the. The devil kind of has this, like, very loud approach to, you know, influencing society, um, you know, through, like, Hollywood, you know, through movies and, you know, really emphasizing this secular, uh, worldly, um, all these worldly passions, you know, really emphasizing that for all these movie stars and then everybody wants to be like these attractive movie stars and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, fame comes so cheap these days, anyone can pick up a cell phone and and get viral in 15 minutes and then and then they disappear into nothingness so yeah and everybody's like just looking for it they get the quick dopamine hit and then it's gone yeah yeah and and you see i mean you see the influence i mean like you're saying with cell phones how many you know this is obviously like a whole topic but like every kid's mission is to become famous in his or her phone which is like there's there's I don't want to say there's no real work required to have your name out there, but it's like kids are doing awful things, like putting themselves out there in, in very like inappropriate ways in order to get fame. I mean, you see so much of these like TikTok stars and stuff. I mean, it's like young girls and um, and like like just uh, it's it's sad to see. These girls are, like, in mm-hmm. high school, like, putting themselves out there thinking that that's how they're going to receive affirmation or guys doing the most idiotic stuff. Just, like, like going around cities, like, ruining people's day because it's funny yeah. and people are, like, glued to that stuff. And it is funny, but it's, like, also awful. Yeah, yeah. Know? Whenever you put yourself in that situation, it's like, okay, that was super obnoxious and yeah. that person's day is definitely ruined. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, speaking of speaking of Hollywood and and people doing crazy things, uh, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, that was, uh, that's pretty awesome. It, it I don't know if you know the listeners have you know really watched the interview with Shia LaBeouf and Bishop Robert Barron. I think I think there was some you know some news going on. I mean, he's so he's portraying Padre Pio in a movie, and I did kind of hear some stuff about him like leaning towards Catholicism and stuff, but. Then I listened to him and Bishop Robert Barron talking, and he's like, he's like full fledged converted, uh, so on fire for the sacraments and the rosary, and I mean, this dude's like, yeah, it's in. amazing. You know, I, I grew up watching watching his movies. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah, even Stevens holes the Transformers yeah. films, of course. Yeah. You know, uh, I I always loved loved him as an actor, and then uh, as I get got older, I just saw him doing like. All these like crazy stunts, publicity stunts, and just all the news that would come out about him was was never really that positive. Mm-hmm. But um, once I saw that he was portraying Padre Pio, I said, "This this is amazing. I think this can can really make an impact on people because I know he's a great actor. I think he's up there with with some of the greats, um, and especially like because he's been so um, been so eclectic that clearly this is going to have effect on other people as well." Yeah. 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 I feel like it was the same thing, like, really enjoyed, like, watching Holes. I, I didn't, I haven't seen many of his movies, but but I feel like in the recent past, like, just seeing pictures of him, like, he looked like he was, like, he just looked rough, you know? Like, the industry had just, like, taken a toll on him. And, yeah. You know, anytime you'd see pictures of him or hear news about him, it just, like, 
looked, it kind of looked like Hollywood did its thing to him. Yeah. You know, it's like you go here with these big dreams and, um, and kind of like that, that reality that the devil is at work there and the devil he's the, he's the father of lies, right? It's, it's all of these things that he's promising in it. And it really seemed that, that Shia LaBeouf was, was kind of like eaten into that. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm speaking. No, yeah. I, I mean, that's what he talks idea, about. Though. That's, that's a lot of what he talks about is like how involved he was with self, you know, and how focused he was on his own, his own pride, like his ego, you know, motivated, you know, all of his publicity stunts and all these different situations. And he, you know, was led to the point of just complete emptiness, like no friends, very lonely, um, had nothing left. And, you know, he talks about, you know, his, his, you know, depression and kind of how low he got during this time period where like, you know, publicly, like he's seen as, you know, he's pretty much losing it. Shia LaBeouf is, you know, doesn't have it together anymore. You know, his career's falling apart. And he felt that, you know, he made that very clear that he felt the weight of that. And what's amazing about the story he tells about how he got the role was it wasn't his Catholicism or uh, even his spirituality that led him to accept the role. He was in a, a sort of spiritual program and then with the director that, that he respected. And he says that he came to him with the role and it was really his ego that pushed him forward even further yeah. to say like, Wow, I can go from doing, uh, doing nothing with my life, having no career, to working with Willem Dafoe in this new in this new movie. So it was really the ego that brought him there, and eventually led him to this place. You know, he, yeah. he says he got tricked into it, but not in a bad way. So so it's amazing how the Lord. He, he often says that he fell in, he fell into this, he fell into the Catholicism. So uh, it, it's truly amazing how the Lord works in that way, taking our taking our sins, taking our pride, and just leading us into so much of a better place. Right. Yeah. Right. So what do y'all know about the, he wouldn't go stay with the monastic uh, order. He stayed with the uh, the Capuchins, which was yes. uh, what Father Pio was. Okay. So he was in Italy. He was in, because uh, Project Pio, he was in, uh, I think it was California at first. And then he took one of the brothers up to Italy with him. And then one of the brothers actually became a big character in the film as well. Okay. Wow. So wait, what, um, Tell me a little bit about Padre Pio. I feel like I don't, I don't really know enough. Do y'all, do y'all have some, uh, like, what order he was from? Or He, he, was, he was a Capuchin. Capuchin. Yeah, he was a Capuchin Franciscan. And did um, he start this order, or was he no, just a part no. of it? No, okay. uh, he, he was a part of it. He was a very, very holy priest. Um, he often would, you know, be in the confessional. He had the ability to read souls. He would, if people came into his confessional, you know, four or five times with the same sin, he'd throw you out. You would be outside in the, in the line. <laughs> hearing him go off on somebody and you, you know, you probably would start to get a little nervous. Um, but there's, there are, there've been films made about him. We have videos of his masses being said. Mm. He was, uh, I believe he, he floated sometimes, uh, while mm. praying. And he also had the stigmata, which is, you know, very few saints get to have. I say get to have, you know, as if it's not like very painful, Right. but you know, suffering for Christ, man, it's, uh, you gotta be, you gotta be holy to have that. Yeah. You yeah. have to be really, Christ-like to literally uh, receive the wounds that he had, you yeah. know? And, I, yeah, the only ones I know of would be, like, him and St. Francis of Assisi. I don't know who else. I feel like I've seen maybe paintings of other saints, but... Yeah. I've, uh, I'm reading I Believe in Love, <clears throat> and I've been reading it for pretty much a year now because I just read really slowly, <laughs> and I keep getting distracted. But what it's talking about right now is all about 
like how much of a blessing it is to suffer. And I mean, it just really, the, the book just really emphasizes this like humble confidence um, in like finding that middle ground between humility and confidence. Um, and and it's, it's going into this place of like just talking about suffering for this whole chapter. And then whenever we are talking about, you know, they, Shia LaBeouf and uh, Bishop Robert Barron were talking about the stigmata that Padre Pio had and, and just how much of a, how much of an honor it was like, you know, he was, he was humbled to have the stigmata and didn't, he didn't want to show this at all. And, and as his life went on, the church kind of in some way rejected him. And I don't really know that much. I'm really basing this off of what Bishop Robert Barron and Shia LaBeouf were talking about. But yeah, the, the church didn't really know how to like handle mystics a lot of the times. And so they didn't really know how to handle the fact that this, this guy got a stigmata. They didn't really believe him. They tried to go observe him and he, he didn't really show them for whatever reason, or maybe they were, they were in too much pain. His hands were in too much pain that he didn't want to unwrap it. And they just didn't believe that he had the stigmata. And, um, but as his life went on, he really just got more quiet and Christ-like, you know, he didn't, he didn't try to fight it. He didn't start a new church or a new order or anything. Mm-hmm. He accepted where he was. He accepted his role and just worked on being more Christ-like. Yeah, that's what amazing. what's amazing about that is Shia LaBeouf says something pretty profound, I think, when he says that when the church barred Padre Pio from saying Mass publicly, he he didn't take to Twitter immediately. He didn't, he didn't you know, send yeah. out some outrage. He just got more quiet, and he retreated into his room, and he prayed, and he would say Mass in his room on his balcony sometimes. And, uh, and I think people would like come to the window or something. He'd mm-hmm. kind of be like saying mass like out of his window or something. Yeah, and they would hear him, you know, up in his room, like bodies being thrown around, like these, like he's having a brawl, like he's fighting somebody. And this, this is very often that you see with some of these great saints mm-hmm. that they, the devil will will often be subtle, and for a lot of people because he doesn't need to be upfront. He doesn't need to come after you in that way. But for the great saints. Uh, St. John Vianney is one of them that I'm thinking about, you know, setting his bed on fire. Uh, he'll come after you. And Padre Pio would, would come out of his room with bloody knuckles and a broken nose because he just fist fought the devil. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow. Crazy. I so never knew that. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> That's crazy. Mystics are wild. I mean, the fact that, you know, these people are, you know, really, I mean, they, you know, I guess like God reveals... Uh, the supernatural to certain people who, you know, can handle it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And these mystics just experience the craziest things. I mean, the miracles, the amount of miracles and, um, like, I guess the supernatural things that have been revealed, Eucharistic miracles and, and Marian apparitions, like, these things happened? Yeah. You know, like, people, people experienced, you know, like, literally seeing angels and things like that. Like, this is, it's crazy. It's crazy how real... It is, you know, there, there is this spiritual warfare going on that we don't really get to see, but, you know, I guess that's where faith comes in. You know, we have to trust that like us fulfilling our role is what's going to help this, this spiritual warfare, you know, like we need to be on God's team and like pushing that, pushing that line. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's probably a huge part of Shia LaBeouf's story is like, okay, what is it? You know, he got this role um, on this movie talking about Padre Pio. Like he says in the in the interview, like he wasn't an atheist, but he was kind of like agnostic. Like didn't really know kind of like this TED Talk spirituality. He was saying, um, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it sounded interesting. Um, probably all this like you know like 
brain stuff, like trying nothing to, but logic. Yeah, a lot of yeah. the a lot of the new atheists. Yeah, but revealing something about the saints that is not just like this crazy Catholic thought of like we worship these people, namely the saints, but like the reality that Padre Pio spent his life trying to make himself small, and yet God was just was being glorified through him. And when, I'm sure when someone like Shia LaBeouf, who seeks, seeks so much for um, just like true joy and peace and, and worldly things, receives something like this, receives a role like this. It's this awakening of this guy had none of these things that I'm seeking after and sprinting after. And yet these things have left me depressed and sad and lonely. And this guy had none of these things and yet look at his life. And look how, how much of an impression it's had on the world, you know? Like the exact opposite of what, what you're seeking for and, and, uh, and just how much that probably played into him saying, okay, if I, just, if I, if I take this step and say, what, what if this is real, you know? What if the Catholic Church has, you know, something going on, you know? But it's that step even some Catholics can't take. Mm-hmm. You know, people who were raised in the church. It's like, what if I just take that step, make that leap of like, m- maybe God does really like me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? And, and that's truly the meaning of, meaning of suffering because, you know, Padre Pio had no reason to be doing this. He had no reason to, to you know, give himself the stigmata. It, it, didn't, it didn't make him... Uh, you know, like no, no one wants to injure themselves or, you know, just to have a claim or something like that. But it, that's what Shia is talking about is it, it takes you out of the self. It takes you out of the, the logic of it. And it puts you squarely in, in the feeling realm, which is why he talks a lot about the Latin mass was it, it, it took him out of him, of his self, mm-hmm. where in some of the other masses that he had been to in the Novus Ordo, he felt like it was a lot about himself, that he was trying to be sold an idea. Whereas in the Latin Mass, it was like he found it. He was letting, he was being let in on, on some sort of secret. So right. It's like something is clearly greater than himself here. Yeah. Like I can't understand everything and, and I'm, I'm being invited into this mystery, right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's not your, um, you know, guitar Protestant-like Mass that, that, perhaps the church thinks is so appealing to people, but it's really appealing to people who um, don't, perhaps don't have a foundation or lack a foundation and just need the, uh, need the emotional or need the uh, entertainment in order to keep them, uh, you know. Focused on what the pastor is saying or what's being read. Yeah, just like, they lack the attention for faith and they, they somewhat, maybe, maybe they lack that or, or maybe they just love the guitar or praise and worship. That's fine. You yeah. Know? But is that drawing you into the mystery of what is the mass? Yeah. And, you know, the thing is that, like, Catholicism does, you know, offer that type of setting with praise and worship, you know, yeah. at retreats or, 
you know, there's there's praise and worship nights, you know, often, uh, you know, of course, we're in Lafayette, so it's super Catholic. We, we're exposed to a lot. I'm not sure how yeah. much it's offered in other areas, but we're certainly offered like praise and worship where there is music and there is, you know, this very like, um, you know, energetic vibe. And, you know, there's a lot of socializing and there's a lot of that. But it's like the difference is that a mass is supposed to be sacred and what they're talking about in the in the podcast or YouTube video with Shia LaBeouf and Bishop Robert Barron is that like whenever, um, you know, whenever you're in a mass, like it's okay to not completely understand everything, but to just sink into the mystery, uh, and, and have faith, like you said. And, and understanding that we, we can't completely understand. Right. That's, that's what the mystery is. Father John Joseph explained that once how it's like a mystery isn't something that you can't understand, that you it's something that you will forever have to learn about. You'll never completely know yeah. what what the situation is or how to understand it. You will always be learning more and going further into it. Yeah. Which is amazing because that's that's clearly what Shai is articulating here when he says that he, he fell in. You know, he wasn't he wasn't seeking this, he was seeking purely his own ego, but he fell into it. He started he started taking the role because he thought it would jumpstart his career. And then he started living with all of these, uh, he, they said, go to a seminary. So he went to the seminary and he went to this Capuchin friary, started living with these men. And, you know, they weren't asking him to do anything. They weren't asking him to, to sweep the floors or to, or to do any work for them. He was just hanging out. You know, he, he says, you know, they're, oh, they're letting me pet their cats and eat their ice cream. I was eating them out of house and home, but they still weren't asking me for anything. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and, and and I'm just thinking like, with the idea of falling in, it's it's a response to an invitation that the Lord gives to everybody, you know, and and I'm sure Shai now, upon further reflection, can realize deeply that um, that like the whole time the Lord's pursuing him and he loves him and and he's saying you know, make this, you know, again, make this leap. And for him to have such a, an amazing community of people there to just like reaffirm the fact that like, there's no pressure. Like we just love you. And, and we, and, and it's, it's a response that we should have to our neighbor, yeah. you know? And, and it's something that a lot of times we often feel this like super heavy pressure to, to like, be the guy who brings the gospel, but like St. Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Don't throw the Bible at me. I love that so much. Yeah. You know? So powerful. Mm-hmm. And and how effective that was because Shia has probably been around so many people who were trying to draw him in or deceive him or trying to convince him to, to join their, their religion. Yeah. Well, not only religion, but just being around Hollywood, like right. everything's about money. Yeah. And if, if the if the Catholic Church is just about numbers and stuff, why wouldn't they be trying to draw him in? Because it's not about that. It's about the truth. Yeah. Well, it looks like we have uh, our surprise guest back in back in the studio, and by surprise, I mean totally un unsurprising. <laughs> yeah, it's me. It's hey, John Joseph. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, you know, being a priest, you got surprise things that happen. So that's right. Always yeah. full of surprises. Definitely <laughs> glad you said yes to that, whatever it was. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I may have been 
poor scheduling on my part, but we'll pretend like it wasn't. Father uh, sent a text. He was like, "Hey guys, gonna be late. Talk about Shia." <laughs> I was like, "I was like looking. And I was like, who is Shia?" <laughs> Come on, man. I was you really like, didn't know. Well, it took me a little while to put it together. But that's funny. That's funny. So yeah, no. but I was excited about that because I had watched the whole video yesterday and was like mind blown that, you know, Shia had such a deep conversion. That, it's like, so. what? <laughs> How random is that? I mean, yeah. I mean, like amazing, incredible. But I mean, he really is probably one of the greatest actors of our generation, mm-hmm. uh, I would say. Yeah. You know, I mean, just in terms of his diversity. I mean, he's like he's like Will Smith. Like he went from like a comedian. I mean, I remember him on Even Stevens. Did y'all ever watch Even Stevens? Or is yeah. that like... I was really young, so I don't really remember. T- I mean, I can't like... That, and I never, it, you know, he is ingrained in my head as... What was it, Louis or something? What was it his name? Louis Stevens? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. It was Louis Stevens. <laughs> so... Like, I can't, you know, get that image of Shia LaBeouf out my head. Like, no matter how many Transformer movies he's in, <laughs> yeah. he will always be Louis Stevens <laughs> for me. But but that, like, you know, seeing him with Bishop Barron, yep. yeah, I mean, I, well, Jude, that's why I couldn't believe you didn't even know, because <laughs> you, you're the one who sent us the, the video. Yeah. Of, <laughs> and it was like, Bishop Barron, Shia LaBeouf, Padre Pio. And I was like, what? <laughs> How do these three things, you know, walk into a bar? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, was yeah. like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I man. guess I've never just heard Shia. Yeah. I, you always hear Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and LaBeouf is... It was kind of... I was, like, I, was like, that was his, <laughs> yeah. I was like, that was his first name, Shia? It's like I yeah. never even, I never even <laughs> put it together. His name has been Shia LaBeouf to me. Yeah. Yeah. What were his parents thinking? <laughs> <laughs> No, but so, so, I mean, to be honest, just, just tremendously happy that, you know, the Lord took him and especially through the, through the work of Padre Pio. Um, it was, it was actually really cool. So when I found this out about Shia LaBeouf, you know, got the text, was like, what just happened? And then, uh, we literally, while this is going on, Father Champagne's giving a series on Eucharistic saints. And he starts, and he's talking about Padre Pio as a Eucharistic saint. Mm. So while that's going on, and then he's got a relic of Padre Pio. Wow. And then I had just hung a picture of Padre Pio above my bed in my room. And I realized we had moved into the novitiate house on Padre Pio's feast day. So I had asked Father that last night, I was like, can we bring this relic of Padre Pio into our, our house? Because we didn't have a relic in our house. And it, I was like, it was just like, it was just like, just made complete sense. And he was like, yeah. So anyway, wow. it was just, it was just like, Jeez. man, Padre Pio is a bomb. I thought you were about to say, and then Shia LaBeouf walked in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was just like, yeah. what? And he was bilocated. <laughs> just like Padre Pio. Yes. He's really an immersive actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He really gets into the character. <laughs>
So I was thinking, you know, maybe we could just talk some more about Padre Pio because he is so much fun to talk about in terms yeah, of a saint. I've been, I've been wanting to hear some stories. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's wild. Like, so first of all, Padre Pio, uh, so one of the things that's cool about Padre Pio, I mean, he's always been like a saint that, you know, he always pops up. You know, everybody's got a like, little picture of Padre Pio somewhere, you know. Yeah. But, but Padre Pio, so we have a priest that Father Champagne became very close friends with. His name is Pad- Padre Angelo. He's from he's from Italy, and he was he Father Champagne and him became close friends when Father Champagne was doing his dissertation work, trying to find out uh, more information on Mother Teresa. So Padre Angelo was like very close friends with Mother Teresa. So we were always like, okay. Yeah, probably everybody was. You know, like probably everybody when they met Mother Teresa, they probably all thought that she was their best friend. But this was funny. One time me and the novices were listening to a tape on Mother Teresa and this guy comes on whom we didn't know and he starts talking. He's like, Mother Teresa told me once that Padre Angelo is my favorite priest. I love him so much. And we were like, we were all looking at each other. We were like, what? It's true. <laughs> so, so anyway, so he would tell us all these stories about Mother Teresa. He was very close to her. And, um, and, and like even when you could tell when he talks about her, how much he misses her. Mm. You know, it's just like he's still grieving her. Mm. Because um, she was such a good friend to him, and but beyond that, this is what else is cool about Padre Angelo, is that is that when he was a little kid, he was an altar server for Padre Pio, and in that just uh, wow. insane. He was set up for sainthood. Yeah, I mean, well, he was set up to be such an awesome priest. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's it's funny. He's the wildest. He's just like the wildest priest you know. That's okay, cool. so. He's uh, one of the things that with with particularly with uh, with Padre Angelo is like we would ask him obviously all kinds of stories about Mother Teresa and Padre Pio, and it was just so cool to see how different those two saints were, mm. like and it really showed me how unique sanctity makes a person. Mm. Like holiness does not like stifle a personality, but it really actually like brings out all the fullness of a personality but when you talk about mother Teresa, i mean you could tell he was just smitten by her like just like uh she he, she was a mother he would say he, she was, he said he said like um he he she would she would fuss at me sometimes there was only two times mother became angry with me and like he told us one of the times and we were like well what was the other he goes i prefer to not talk about it <laughs> but um he said she loved to laugh she was just he said she was just he said he always saw being in italy i mean you're surrounded by images of the blessed virgin uh, mary and he said i always wondered what she really looked like he said the first time he saw mother Teresa, he said that's what she looked like Hmm. he was like this is mary of nazareth this is the little humble woman of nazareth and he was just so, like he said, her sorry was blowing in the wind. And he said it was just the peace that she brought you, you know, uh, in being in her presence. He said she would laugh and she was just, just, and she'd fix things on your, your shirt when they were messed up. Like she was, he said she was just a mother. 
And so we were like, so what was Padre Pio like? He was like, he was a very scary man. <laughs> he said he was kind of angry. <laughs> he said he was a man in pain. And he said, so what they would do as an altar server, Padre Pio would take his gloves and rip them off because before he would celebrate mass, he wouldn't celebrate, usually wouldn't celebrate mass with his gloves. And when he'd do that, he'd rip off the scabs mm. that, that had formed around his, his, his stigmata. And he, and like he could even tell us like what his stigmata, he said like you could see light through it, but there was like a thin film, like almost like a little skin that like still connected. But he said you could see, you know, I mean, if he'd hold up his, his hand to the light, you could see through it. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, oh man, it's so Gosh, insane. That was so painful. Yeah. Just, so he said he was just always in pain and you, you just got that sense, you know, he was just, you know, just carrying so much pain. And, but so when you'd rip off his gloves, when he wasn't looking, when he'd go and he'd start getting vested, the altar servers would go and pick up his scabs oh. as relics. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, true. So Padre Angelo had a box full of Padre Pio's scabs. And he said then one day his mom was cleaning the house oh, no. and she found the box and she's like, she's like, Angelo, what is this? And he's like, Mamma Mia, it's, it's, it's my box of things. Where is my box of things? You know, cositas. So anyway, she said, she's like, oh, I threw that away. She was like, she was like, it was disgusting. And he was like, no, because it was all his. But he, he did, he did, he does still have like some of his gloves and different things like that but he said that uh padre padre pio he he um he said he said he was he said there were many smells of padre pio he said sometimes bo <laughs> he, he did not bathe much he said, <laughs> he said but also like sometimes he would just smell he'd smell like cigars but sometimes he would smell like roses mm. and and like it was just it was just like part of the experience of being around Padre Pio like you kind of didn't know what smell you were going to get and and one time so like he talks about like these different things like once he was in confession with Padre Pio and and he said you know I've done you know I had some some bad thoughts I had whatever and he said um he said and uh I have some pride and Padre Pio's like, pride? Eh? And he says, he's like, see, si, Padre, some pride. He was like, oh, pride, huh? And he's like, yeah, pride. And he was like, he was 14, okay? He's like a kid. And then he pointed to uh, the devil under St. Michael's feet. He had There was an image of St. Michael with the, uh, the devil under his feet. He said, that's what pride will get you. He said, he said don't mess with pride. That's what he told him. He was very, very strong. Um, and and boy, did Padre Pio know the devil. I mean, because I, I think y'all had talked about that before I came in, but like he literally would wrestle with the devil. I mean, the devil would, would mess with him. And I remember one story. Padre Pio had a very close relationship with his guardian angel. Um, and 
Padre Pio with his so he would call upon his guardian angel because the devil the devil is very scared of our guardian angels. Mm-hmm. So he would call upon the his guardian angel whenever he was one of these fits where the devil was just enraged with him and just beating the snot out of him. Okay. And Padre Pio just like is crying out to his guardian angel, like, please help me. Because it's so scary. You know, that that's one thing about the devil is that he so operates so much of off of fear that it paralyzes you. But anyway, so he starts messing with them and he's calling out to his guardian angel and his guardian angel didn't show up. And then finally the devil departed and his guardian angel comes and he, he's singing. His guardian angel's singing praises to God. And Padre Pio looks at his guardian angel and he says, silence. He says, he said, you did not come when I called you. Where were you? And he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm praising God because you got to a share in his suffering, which none of the angels ever get. And he said, you don't know what it's like to suffer. He said, don't follow me. And he walked out the room. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, but I just love that because it's just like, Padre Pio is just so human, you know, um, and yet so radically different than so much of so many of us um i mean i I could tell you more stories about padre angelo i'm trying to think of like uh, actually one time padre angelo talked about how he was thinking about giving up his vocation so he was he was thinking like um maybe i shouldn't do this you know he was kind of thinking about you know maybe i need to start exploring the world and that, that kind of you know so Padre Pio actually burst into his room in the middle of the night, and he thinks he was bilocating at that point, and he grabbed him. He grabbed Padre Angelo and started yelling in his ear, work for the grace of your vocation. And then he put him down, and then he left, and then it smelled like roses. And his... <laughs> <laughs> what? Wow. Yeah. Padre, uh, now Padre, I, I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast because like Padre Angelo is kind of private about that story because like he didn't tell a whole lot of people that. But but yeah, I mean, he was wow. very, so like that's why why he said he was like, he was scary. <laughs> he was like, yeah. he was scary. Um, but he was, there was one time too that uh, Padre Angelo looked at Padre Pio and he said, like he was going away to religious life and he said, he said, uh, he looked at Padre Pio and he said, he said, Padre, I am your spiritual son. And he said, please pray for me as I go to my vocation. And he said, he, he said he put his hand, you know, with his glove. I think his glove, he may have even taken off his glove and put the stigmata on his head. And he said it felt like a heavy stone on his head. He said it was just so heavy. And he said, I am your spiritual father. Do not shame me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Gosh, that's so intense. Yeah. What an intense guy. Yeah. And, uh, but like, and then, and like, he's still, and then he converts Shia LaBeouf. Like, what the heck? Yeah. 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 And one thing that they were talking about was that, like, uh, the Padre Pio, part of his work was like building a hospital or something like that. Are you, you aware of that? Do you remember that part of the podcast, Seth? 
Yeah, Shai was talking about how amazing it was going to Italy and seeing this this hospital, which now does all this cancer research and stuff like that. It's like one of the most successful hospitals from Padre Pio's work in Petroclina. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I believe it. It just, you know, that's that that's the kind of like, you know, when you have somebody who does the work of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't stop. Yeah. You know, with them, their yeah. death does not conquer yeah. them. You know, were you gonna say something more about that specifically? Yeah, I mean, it was just it was just powerful that, um, you know, he. It was kind of in a time where they were talking about his silence and how he, at this point, you know. I guess in some way was kind of rejected by by other people in the church, like who had a hard time understanding yeah. him and whatnot. And so he he grew very silent and grew just focused on growing more Christ-like. Um, but his work never stopped. Mm. And yeah, just talking about how um, I guess in a way like how abstract, like you can hold his work in your hands in some sense. You can see the work that he did, and, and yeah. I think that's the case for a lot of these great saints. Like they yeah. they didn't necessarily always say, you know, the most impactful things, um, like, with their words, but just you can see the impact that they left yeah. uh, on the world, just doing exactly what the Holy Spirit was guiding them to do. Yeah, he was, you know, and, and like, actually, this was another story of Padre Angelo. He said he, was, he went into their cloister area with the Capuchins, with Padre Pio, and the, the superior over the Capuchins what they were offering prayers and the superior said uh we pray for padre pio's sufferings you know and padre pio said especially the sufferings that you have caused me (laughs) 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 i know yeah but um but but yeah 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 yeah. you you don't always have to be the most pleasant person ever to be a saint (laughs) yeah i know exactly (laughs) but he was he he was really um he really did he really did suffer because other people misunderstood him, questioned him. I mean, he, he, it was not just a physical suffering that he endured. Yeah. And he was really suppressed. I mean, he couldn't preach at times, and, you know, which is just, just crazy. But, you know, but, and, and he was always he – was, he was told he was being disobedient because his mass was, were too long. Um, really? Yeah, because he would celeb- take his time so much celebrating the mass. Hmm. But uh, I think that's a great, you know, kind of segue into the Eucharistic devotion of Padre Pio because mm-hmm. he had an incredible devotion to the Eucharist. I mean, he's one of the few mystics that is a priest. I don't know if you notice that or no. think about that, but, like, think of all the great, like, mystics, the ones who had visions and not too many priests. Padre Pio is kind of unique in that category. Um, and... In terms of like the the kind of mysticism that he had, mm-hmm. also as a stigmatist, not a whole lot of priests that were stigmatists, um, so that had the stigmata. So, but one of the things that he had a, he had a vision where where uh, Jesus was talking about uh, the like he sh- kind of showed him different priests celebrating the mass, and Jesus Jesus lamented and he said they're butchers. Mm. like just slaughtering the lamb. Mm. Like there was no devotion yeah. in the wow. way that they, they were celebrating the mass. And and that's how, and Padre Pio really took that to heart, you know, the tenderness that you have to celebrate the mass. But not, you know, I mean, it's obviously the priest, but in a profound way, also 
all the people of God recognizing yeah. the tenderness of the Eucharist, you know, and, and being invited into that. And, and then Padre Pio, another thing about the Eucharist that, that stays with me is his beautiful prayer. Most people know it. Y'all know the, like, his basically stay with me prayer. Stay with me, Lord Jesus, because you know how easily I abandon you. Hmm. So it's a long prayer. Everybody should read it. It's beautiful. It's based off of the Emmaus, you know, where where Jesus appeared to the two men, and they go on the Emmaus walk, the road to Emmaus. Oh, yeah. And then when they arrive there, he, they say, stay with us, Lord. Yeah. Uh. For evening draws near. And Padre Pio took that and expounded upon it. He was like, stay with me, Lord, after he was after you would receive communion. Stay with me, Lord. Stay with me, Lord. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's like a poetic prayer. But I love it because it's like, Padre Pio, I mean, you were literally, you literally bore the stigmata. And he, he says in that prayer, you know how easily I abandon you. You know how quickly I leave you. You know how, how inclined I am to go astray. So stay with me, Lord. I just love it. Yeah. It's just a great prayer. That's super powerful with the the story of Emmaus. I feel like it's like one of the most, it was one of the most um, impactful um, parts of the gospel for me actually was, mm. was that because the second he blessed the bread, he disappeared. Yeah. But it's like he's always in the bread of life that we consecrate forever. Like he's right. he's forever present with us. Like he gifted us. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing gift that yeah. that he, you know, he's not visibly, you know, in his in his bodily form, but he still blesses us with his presence. And the fact that we get to um, be a part of that is just is just absolutely amazing. It, yeah, that uh, that the Eucharist is the place. And that was like the last. Sorry, that was like the last story of of Luke's gospel or something like that. Yeah. It, was, it was at the very end. And yeah, was, right. And then it goes into Acts. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like showing how he stays with us. Yeah, no, I, the Eucharist is the place of friendship with Christ. You know, like if you don't have a relationship with the Eucharist, it's questionable of whether or not you have a friendship with Christ, because that is the place. You, how can you say I'm friends with this person and I never go see them in the flesh? Yeah, yeah. You know, and. It's really, the Eucharist is really Christ's invitation for us into friendship with him. And that's really, you know, I mean, that's the core of who Padre Pio was. I mean, that's, the, that's what a saint is, a friend of Christ. I mean, that's what it boils down to. And so, I mean, we can't have that without the Eucharist. That's where he stays with us. But it, it really is incredible when you see Padre Pio and you're just like, you know, how, how, deeply crucified with Christ he was. But notice how in his own body he was also not just manifesting the crucifixion, but also the resurrection. Because he could bilocate. Yeah. He could go through walls. He could I mean that's 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 the aspects of the resurrected body. <clears throat> so Padre Pio was like not just crucified with Christ, but also he was resurrected with him. So just incredible. So what what time period was Padre Pio? Do you know? He was in the eight, uh, the twentieth century. Okay. So and, like last century. And so was it? Uh, how how long did it take for you know? Because like towards the end of his life, you know, a lot of his, you know, the, the church wasn't didn't really know how to interpret it. Like how long did it take for him to? Uh, I don't know exactly, extended? but clearly it wasn't too long because he 
he became a saint pretty quickly. Okay. And, you know, um, but I mean, I think it was it was just so obvious. I mean, everybody knew that Padre Pio was, I mean, the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. And it was cool because he was a Franciscan, and, and, of course, Francis had the stigmata, too, you know. So what, I mean, you know, you would think that every priest has this really strong devotion to the Eucharist. What, you know, you said there's, like, Eucharistic, uh, I don't know, you used the term earlier, and you said, Padre, you said Father Champagne was talking about... Eucharistic saints. Eucharistic saints, yeah. Like, what, I mean, you would think that every saint has this... <laughs> yeah, so that's actually what I told Father. I was like... In that kind of like every saint, <laughs> it was like yeah, but you know, I mean, some of them, I guess, we can kind of highlight a little bit. Okay, so gotcha. right. so okay. no, but definitely, I mean, if a priest becomes a priest for any other reason besides the Eucharist, he's doing it for the wrong reason. Hmm. I mean, really, yeah. When you when you boil it down, every priest has a devotion to the Eucharist. Mm. Okay, it's almost hard to even call it a devotion because it's not really devotion; it's worship. Yeah. You know, it's like the core and essence of our life. It's the heartbeat of the priesthood. St. Jean Vianney said, the priesthood is the sacred heart of Jesus. Which I personally love that. Wow. Yeah. So, like, you know, you want to know the sacred heart of Jesus? Nice to you meet look you. look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. That, that's pretty amazing to me because I, I have gotten to personally venerate the heart of St. Jean Vianney when wow. uh, they brought him to the seat conference, the focus conference wow. uh, in Indianapolis. So wow. I was a seminarian at the time, and they brought him into the vestry, and, and it was it was amazing. Wow. Wow. So That's cool. Such cool stuff. God, it's so cool. And, I mean, you were talking about the Eucharist um, and how in order to, like— that that's his way of like becoming friends with us to have to have this level of intimacy. And I, mean, I remember you talking about that intimate Jude. You were talking about that intimacy book, Seven Levels of Intimacy yeah, yeah. by Matthew Kelly. Yeah. What's uh, I, I'm kind of curious. I don't know how much time we have, but I'm kind of curious to know about you know the the levels of intimacy and and uh, how that works because I think it ties into you know the fact that he left us the Eucharist to grow in intimacy with him yeah. so that we could. We can yeah, be friends with them. Yeah, I mean, let me let me um, pull up the exact levels of intimacy, but I know the first one is is cliches. Um, so, like, hold on. Let me well, I'll I'll tell you that you know I know that Saint Therese, she talked about the Eucharist being the highest form of intimacy that anybody could ever experience because it's not just a union of flesh; mm-hmm. it's a union of souls. And no other human relationships can that happen. Mm. But you, you have... Yeah, yeah, I have them here. And, and they're definitely much more like the, the person-to-person levels of right. intimacy. But, um, but, I, but I think w- without even getting into that, it's like with Shia LaBeouf realizing the intimacy that Padre Pio had with Christ, it's like his heart couldn't help mm. but long for that intimacy with someone because it's something that's so inexplicable. It's like, this is divine intimacy. This is true intimacy. Mm-hmm. This is something beyond. All right, and it, and if you'd like to hear more, stay tuned uh, or, or listen, check out our podcast on Spotify or whatever other podcast you want to listen to. <laughs> <laughs>
Now that now that we're back, I I, uh, I just wanted to share the levels of intimacy. And there was a great talk by Matthew Kelly he gave. I haven't actually read the book. I just listened to this talk. But the uh, the levels of intimacy. The first one would be cliches. So it's like um, like how how kind of how high school boys respond to things. It's just kind of like yeah, okay, got it. <laughs> You know, so not very much intimacy, in other words. Yeah, just you just like kind of say stuff like, How's how's school? Good, good." (laughs) you know. But Matthew Kelly's so funny, he's like, Good, oh, how is it? Good, good, can I have some money? (laughs) So the second level is facts. So this is kind of like a you're talking to a friend, you're talking about like the weather's nice today, Mm -hmm. it's good. It's well, I guess that would be an opinion. It's ninety degrees. A little, a little bit of yeah. a cliche, but but yeah, I guess just yeah, talking about like, just maybe like uh, we're working on a project together, and so we're sharing facts about it. Right? Would you say that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of like it's solid. You don't have to like reveal too much. But then the next level, the third level, would be opinions. So this is where it gets a little bit more like okay, I'm revealing a little bit more of how I think to you. Right. Um. And, and you to me, you know, it's, it's, it's the next level. Um, four would be hopes and dreams. So you're talking about, you know, like what are things you hope for? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. just kind of revealing a part of you that, um, you know, you want this person to know you a little bit. Um, like things that you may never accomplish, you know, it, it, it requires you to be a little bit more uh, vulnerable. Five is feelings. Mm-hmm. Um and then, uh, yeah, just I, I can't help but think of Matthew Matthew Kelly the way he describes it all. I can never do it justice, so I won't even try. But, um, <laughs> but five is feeling. Six is fears, faults, and failures. Um, and then seven would be legitimate needs. Hmm. So um, mm. yeah, yeah, like I need this. I need you know you to to compliment me in this area. I mean, as, as kind of trite as that sounds, but yeah. like, it, yeah. you know, sometimes it is, or like, I need you to be there for me in these moments, I guess, would be Correct. more yeah. deeper needs. No, wow, that's, I mean, it's really insightful. And, you know, I've always seen this because like, uh, I, I know we had talked about this a good bit, you know, as y'all were pre- you and Abby were preparing for marriage and stuff, but uh, I, I might've even talked about it with you at different times to read. Um, just the 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 different levels of intimacy that need to happen between a couple at different times because mm-hmm. because um a lot of times couples you know their first date they're already talking about hopes and dreams yeah and they probably need to be sharing more just like opinions life facts yeah, yeah right yeah like who are you where you come <laughs> yeah. from you know they but but what happens, that's the emotional unchastity that a lot of people yeah. suffer from. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, uh, and, and I know, like, see, as for guys, guys may, may or may not be inclined to it, but girls love it. <laughs> so, so it's like, because it, it, it feels, it, girls are more inclined to, like, want to share those deeper things mm-hmm. um, and have that kind of intimacy. But it can usually be too, too much too soon. And, and then also, and I, like, you know, I, I've also seen, uh, I mean, just dealing with young couples and stuff like that, you know, faults and failures or like big faux pas that you've had. Yeah. Uh, Cajun word of the day, you know what faux, faux pas, pas is? Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know a good translation for it. Uh, just like a mistake? Yeah, just basically yeah, a mistake. Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, we learned something. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, a lot of times people will, like, go in and, like, here's my deepest, darkest secret. And then they're like, wow, <laughs> okay, yeah. we must be in love. You know, but yeah. it's like, whoa, well, not quite. You know, you actually just met each other and you're getting a little too intimate too fast. It doesn't, it doesn't seem – and then the worst is when, you know, hooking up. Yeah. But that's it's the same kind of mentality. It's like uh, the hookup culture, which is just overly intimate, and then it, it it makes intimacy a cliche. Yeah, it makes it so superficial. Yeah, that's a great point. It's yeah. like you have the needles of like the the stages at which our relationship should move. Exactly, and emotional and physical and even spiritual. You right. know, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reveal my you know just like the way I. The way, I, I'm not going to sit here and like pray with you and we're going to pray out loud about like things that are hard for us and, and just exactly. like spiritually open myself up to you just because we're not on that level yet. Right, you know? exactly, right. It's like something Abby and I are learning like in our marriage. It's like, okay, now we're at a, another spiritual level where like we pray, we can pray out loud together. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's but it all, it all happens according to the level at which these needles need to move and they all need to move together. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. We, and we even talked about like even financial intimacy. Right. You know, you don't first date, you're like, here's my checkbook, you know, look, I'm struggling. That's why I'm not going to pay for you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, like, That's a tough look. Yeah. Yeah. says no premarital banking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But, but it's, tr- it's just true because, you know, even that is, is a sharing of life. But but it and and so like you see, it, I mean, obviously, obviously, marriage is the sharing of life that happens. Uh, is the deepest level of intimacy between two between neighbors. Yeah, you know, I, I always call it neighbor loving, the sacrament of neighbor loving. Uh, <laughs> Why All is right. it making you uncomfortable? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Just, I'm just thinking about my neighbor. <laughs> no, but it's just it's it's that second commandment. It's like not just loving God, but loving your neighbor. And then you're, you know, that's what's crazy about marriage is that you become a family with someone who is never a part of your family. Yeah. You know, yeah. And in fact, they shouldn't be. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it would be very messed up if it was. So. It's the sacrament of neighbor love, and it really brings you into an intimacy with another human person. But then that's that's where you then there's a divine intimacy, where where we have intimacy with God, and there's no comparison than to that kind of intimacy other than the Eucharist. And I think yeah, what I what I was thinking of whenever he was reading the seven levels of intimacy, like. Um, how important contemplative prayer is and like to get to the point where you can pray out loud and and be able to like converse with Jesus and not only like experience the fullness uh, the the beauty of the Catholic Church and like how many amazing beautiful prayers they have but also having this ability to like be authentic and to express your needs to Jesus and to all to lay your needs and hopes and desires those things that were in the higher levels of intimacy being able to lay those things on the altar of your heart in front of the Eucharist like just hand it to him you know like that's that's uh you know that's our ability to like be intimate with Jesus um and I think you know it can always grow yeah exactly and that and, and the Eucharist is the place 
You know, I mean, we're not going to find any intimacy like the Eucharistic intimacy that we'll ever, there's no, you know, if we believe, you know, if we don't believe, then it becomes cliche. Yeah. And that's where we see so many times. And I think that's why, you know, so many people are drawn to the traditional mass is because uh, it, it takes away some of the triteness that we have seen, some of the cliches that we've seen. Mm. Um, that, you know, I, I, you know, you know, we've talked about it and I, I don't think it, I don't think the, the new mass is bad, but I think the way that people have approached the new mass, the Novus Ordo, has been, has been bad. And there's so many things people have taken it as an opportunity to be trite and cliche. Um, whereas, like you see, with when someone encounters something, something uh, deep, moving, beautiful, they it, conversion happens because they realize yeah. this is not just bread. This is this is our Lord, you know. And so the mass should should communicate that, you know, in it in its you know, in its depths. And I, I think that that's where that has to happen. It starts, of course, with the priest, but the people can help. You know, um, I, I, Kateri, St. Kateri Tekwitha, the, the Native American saint. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say it again because <laughs> it might come out differently. But, uh, but, but St. Kateri, she was it's really beautiful and profound her story but she was raised she was uh, orphaned at four years old she was native american she had a desire to consecrate her virginity even though she never heard about that Hmm. because she was just i mean not in a in a christian world but she had a deep love for the eucharist and the way she received her first communion converted people around her wow but it just shows that that's the power of somebody who approaches the mass reverently mm. and approaches the Eucharist with reverence. It can convert the priest. It can convert other people. We don't have to like, you know, oftentimes when when we see irreverence, rather than just throttling people and telling them to be more reverent, we should actually say like, how am I not communicating reverence? That's making this other person want to be more reverent, mm. you know? Mm. And I think that that's exactly what St. Kateri, but I mean, you see that Padre Pio, you know, I mean, literally bleeding at the Mass. You know, I mean, it, everything about the Mass, he was in it. But it just shows us that, 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 you know, I have someone who said, reverence has been sacrificed at the altar of convenience. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that, that is, and I think that's why, you know, so like I said, I think we need to approach the new Mass with the same reverence that people are approaching the old Mass. You know, uh, um, but I'm also saying that I think that that it what what we can never sacrifice is just the reverence at this for the sake of convenience, because that is what makes the Eucharist and any kind of intimacy trite, yeah. cliche. All right. Well, that was a that was a good way to wrap it up. I think. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. I'm gonna go celebrate mass now. <laughs> yeah, All right. Drops the mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, peace y'all, guys. yeah, y'all, uh, y'all tune in uh, to all of our podcasts. Share with your friends and family, and um, you know, we look forward to to hearing from y'all. And go to Nomad on September third. <laughs> yeah. God bless. Okay.